0: As you know, my name's Chris, I live in Southampton with my wife Jo, and uh, I've got four children, Joseph, Millie, Connor and Jake, and uh, Joseph's just gone from school to college, so he's that age, and Jake's still in the primary school, so that's the age range, and actually as Joseph was starting at college, it got me reminiscing a little bit about my own uh, childhood and particularly my own school days, and... At age 11, I went to uh, boarding school, or as I prefer to think of it, holiday camp, interrupted by uh, lessons. Uh, and I loved it there. Every single moment of every single day was crammed with fun, sport, music, mischief, friends. That's what it was like. And as I was kind of thinking about my days there, one particular character springed to mind. And it was our matron. Who was called Maureen Fontaine. Now, Maureen Fontaine, she would have been about five foot two high and about the same across the shoulders. She was a formidable and fearsome woman, and her hair. Well, she had the most unique style of hair I have ever come across. Naturally, it was dark with some uh, kind of grey streaks in it. And it came down to her knees. But no boy ever saw her with her hair down. Because she would roll it up into a huge unkempt hedge. And she would he- hold it in place with a few strategically placed knitting needles. This was Maureen Fountaine. And the sound of her hard-heeled leather shoes on the industrial lino of our dormitory would strike dread into every boy as she strode between the beds with her ample bosom parting any wayward boy that happened to be in her way. This was Maureen Fountaine. It's like the Red Sea parting for Moses. Actually, she was very adept at making her way through the dormitories, even in Pitch darkness. She was amazing. She—it's like she had night vision. And there was a door at either end. I want you to picture the scene: a dormitory of eight boys, four on this side, four on this side, with an aisle down the middle. And there was a door that way that went out onto the landing, and a door at that end that would go into the next dormitory. And what would happen is she would pass through the dormitory in the night. You could hear her nylon underskirts rustling. She was a silent assassin. And one of her particular hates was boys who ate food in the night time. This was tantamount to high treason. It was the unmentionable crime. Now, of course, we all did it. But like an episode from The Great Escape, we always managed to conceal the evidence. We would have chocolate bar wrappers that we would shuffle out of the bottom of our trouser legs when we were exercising in the yard. No one was any the wiser. But one particular evening in our dormitory of eight, one young lad called Ashley Whale gave us a peek inside his bedside cabinet. Now Ashley's mother had been to visit him and knowing that Ashley was a sensitive lad, she decided to pacify him with cake. Consequently, there in Ashley Wales' bedside cabinet was a whole large, round, family sized mister Kipling's Bakewell's heart. We had seen it. We were drooling. We were just waiting for the moment when Maureen Fountaine would stand at the end of the dormitory, say goodnight, and back out of the room onto the landing. Then the eating would begin. Good night, boys. Good night, matron. We said, feigning a yawn. The light went out. A few moments passed. And Ashley Whale, in the pitch darkness, said twelve immortal words which are forever burned onto my memory. Phew! Now that old bag has gone, we can scoff the cake! (laughs) Those were his last words that evening. It transpired that instead of turning off the light and backing out onto the landing, Maureen Fountain had switched off the light and was silently making her way through between the beds. And within a fraction of a second the light flashed on. Maureen Fountain leapt majestically over to the bedside cabinet. No you won't! I'll have that, Ashley whale! She yelled at him. She grabbed the still unwrapped, untouched heart and disappeared with it to her flat. No boy dared move. No one spoke. A good ten minutes later, as an act of final defiance, one lad whispered, She'll scoff it now. And eight unsatisfied boys drifted off to sleep. Well, the night passed, the week passed, the months passed. In fact, five years passed. We'd grown now. Maureen Fountain, still a formidable woman, but somehow she'd softened. We'd matured. We'd built friendship with her. And to our surprise, in our final week at school, she invited us to her flat for a party for the 16 leaving boys. And it seemed this once terrifying woman had now become one of us. She was our friend, and she made a real effort at this party. The pickled onion space invaders from the school tuck shop were neatly poured into a green ceramic bowl. There were three, yes, three types of fizzy drink. Coza, Catatizer, Coca-Cola, and Cherry-Aid. She clearly wanted us to have the evening of our lives. This woman, who had been our arch enemy for so long, had won us. And we began to recount stories of our bitter conflicts over the years. And the famous occasion with the Bakewell Tart. And at the mention of the famous incident of the tart in the night time, Maureen Fountain suddenly got up. She shuffled and bustled to her feet. She turned around. She went to the cupboard in her lobby. And she returned, carrying Ashley Wales five-year-old, Mr Kipling, round, family-sized, Bakewell tart. Why she'd kept it, we'll never know. But she returned it to its rightful owner. <laughs> Justice was done. Love and peace was all around. It was harmony in the air. Now, my reason for telling you this story, in a rather long-winded way, is that we'd misjudged Maureen Fountain. People and things Aren't always what they seem, which is I think the title of the slide that I'm gonna ask the guys to put up if that's okay. Things aren't always what they'd seem. We'd misjudged her. We'd thought of her as the battle axe of all battle axes. In reality, she was soft hearted and kind. But in our world we are so quick to judge and so quick to base our opinions on people's appearance. I was watching Britain's Got Talent. Did you watch the last series? The Hairy Angel, they called her. Susan Boyle. The most unlikely looking person to be a beautiful vocalist. The whole nation judged her. Yet now she's an international singing star. With a beautiful voice. I would sing it, obviously. I mean, I've got the gift there. I would sing, Wild horses wouldn't keep me away. But I won't. Anyway... The whole nation made an assumption about her. And we make assumptions about people that aren't always true. I want to tell you another short story. And this one was a story that Jesus told. And it's basically a story about people who make assumptions. You see, we make assumptions about people, but we also make big assumptions about life. So here's this second story. And the story involved two groups of people. And both groups of people were building identical houses. For today, let's call them uh, the Smiths and the Joneses, okay? So we've got the Smiths building here and the Joneses building over there. Now, Mr. Smith and his family, they decided what they were going to do was carve out of the mountainside uh, an area where they could begin to build their house. So they flattened an area, carved it out, ha- exposed the rock and began to build. That was the, uh, the Smiths. Now, the Joneses were slightly different, um, they decided that it would be nice to be near the river. That way they could fish for food, they could get everything they needed from the river, they could take the boat out on a sunny day, and so they built their home down by the bank of the river on a beautiful, idyllic, sandy outcrop. And the smiths up on the hill would look down on their friends all summer as the Joneses fished and played in the water. And I think there may have been a little bit of jealousy that crept in at their beautiful surroundings. Actually, both families looked pretty content. They enjoyed their homes. They were happy in them. But they assumed everything would remain that way. They assumed that everything would be fine. But things aren't always what they seem. See, one day in the early autumn, the sky began to cloud over. And a chill wind blew from the hill down into the valley. And where the families had both been out enjoying the autumn sun in their gardens, they suddenly realized the growing storm outside and they decided to run in to their homes. A chill came over the scene as the first few drops of rain began to fall. Both families ran to their front doors, entered their homes, sheltered, but as each moment passed, the rain was getting heavier and heavier. And both families felt relief as they got into their homes, shook themselves dry, hung up their coats, and took shelter from the ever-growing storm outside. They were safe. But... Things aren't always what they seem. Identical homes were about to have a major difference revealed. The rain came down, the winds blew, it beat against both the houses, and the stream began to rise. The smiths watched out of their front window in horror as the stream rose And as as they saw, the stream begin to wash away the sand that underpinned the house. They watched and heard as the house began to lean. And with a creaking of timber and with a smashing of glass... The Jones' house was just uprooted and washed down river into what had now become a raging, raging river. The water had simply undermined the house, taken it away. All had been lost. No bodies were found. Now, I know I've embellished the story a little bit from the way Jesus told it, about 2,000 years ago. But he wanted to make a very, very clear point, which is the point I want to make to you today. And the point is this. Don't make the dangerous assumption that if your life looks okay from the outside, then you are safe. Because you're not. Don't assume that because it looks good on the outside, as these two houses did, that it is necessarily safe. Don't make that assumption that if your life fits in with the lives around you, that you are safe, because you're not. How does this apply to me and you? Well, think of assumptions for a moment. I was reading a magazine recently, and it was the magazine uh, had com- conducted a survey, and the survey was... Um, what is the most important thing to human beings? The results of the survey was that the most important thing to human beings was happiness. A feeling of emotional well-being. That's what everybody was striving for. Happiness. And when the survey pressed in a little deeper, it said, what are the things that bring you happiness? And the survey went on to say, relationships. Funny, you'd think it would be money or something like that, wouldn't you? Or big houses. Actually, it was relationships. And do you know, the survey went on to say, What kind of relationships bring you the most happiness? And do you know, of the people that answered that question, the answer was unanimously, My relationship with God. Now, it's interesting, it was an American survey where there's a lot more Christians. But that was the thing that they said brought them the most happiness. But I think one of the biggest assumptions in the world today is that we assume we know how we get to heaven. For me in the UK today, the biggest assumption is this. If I am good during my life, I will go to heaven. That's a big assumption that many of us have made. I once spoke to a girl, and she said to me, I know that I'm going to heaven. I said, you seem very certain. Tell me, how do you know? And she said, well, I don't swear, and I don't bitch about bloody nobody. (laughs) She thought that would qualify her for heaven. You see, we have assumed this. We've assumed that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. We've believed that, haven't we? That's what we say. Maybe today you've made that same assumption, that you feel maybe you've never done anything wrong. You ought to go to heaven because you've been good. Even ask yourself the question now, am I Am I certain that when I die, I'm going to heaven? Even now, just let that penny drop. Am I going to heaven when I die? You see, the truth is that there's only one group of people in this whole building today that can answer that question with a yes and be certain. Everyone else has assumed. Everyone else has assumed. But things aren't always what they seem. We have assumed good people go to heaven Bad people go to hell, but things aren't always what they seem. Jesus once said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So he was saying to make it to heaven in the presence of the Father, to be with God, we have to do one thing, come to Jesus. That's what he said. If you want to get to heaven, you have to come to me. That was the words of Jesus. If you want to be in heaven forever, then you have to come through me, Jesus said. So it's about coming to Jesus. And once you come to him, you then become like the smiths. Because you're actually building your house on a strong foundation. Okay, you're building your life on something solid. Once you come to Jesus, you have a foundation for your life that helps you to build it well, as God wants you to do. Now, when I finish speaking today, I'm going to invite some of you to come to Jesus. Because he says that's the way you go to heaven. So it would be foolish of me not to invite you to that. And anybody can do this. You can come to Jesus... And the way that I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus, we will all stand up and I'll just ask anybody that wants to come to Jesus just simply to come to the front like the people who wanted prayer for sickness to come to the front, okay? So perhaps even now you could be weighing up, have I ever come to Jesus so that I can guarantee that I'm going to be in heaven with God and I can guarantee that I'm building my life on a solid foundation. If you haven't, start, keep listening and weigh up, do I need to come to Jesus? Because if you haven't yet done it, then you do need to because you can't assume that just because you've built your life that it's not going to be undermined when the storms come, okay? So I'm going to let you know that now so that when we get to the end, you can decide as I'm speaking whether that's you. Because people do tend not to build their lives on Jesus in our culture. They tend to build their lives on things that are changeable, like careers, for example. You can build your life on your career, and that can become, in a way, like your God. And so you're always striving And you're always looking for the next thing. And if I'm successful, then I'll be secure. But then redundancy comes and the river undermines the house and it's washed away. Some people build their lives on material things and money and things like that. And so you build and build and build and you're building it lovely and you're putting up chandeliers but there's still sand underneath. And so when the storms come, Your life is undermined. When recession hits and the money isn't what it used to be, it undermines the building that you've established. Actually, most of us build our lives around ourselves, which is our big problem. We're largely selfish as human beings. We largely largely look after our own needs and our own comforts. That's our basic human condition. Now, Jesus told this story, and he described the people who built their houses here, and he described the people who built their houses here. He didn't call them the Smiths and the Joneses. What he did was he called those people who built their life on a sandy foundation, he called them foolish. Foolish. Because they'd made no provision for the change in climate. Foolish. Because they hadn't chosen something solid to build their life upon. You see, all of the things I've mentioned, careers and prosperity and status and all those things, in actual fact, everything other than following Jesus is building your life onto a sandy outcrop. Everything other than building your life on Jesus. And there is a storm coming. Now, I'm not talking here about the troubles of life. We all face those. Whether you're a Christian or not, you will face the struggles of life. That's not the storm I'm mentioning. Actually, being a Christian does help you in the storms of life. You've always got God with you, you can turn to him, but there is a bigger storm coming that will cause such devastation that today I want every single person in this room to be absolutely, totally and utterly certain that they have built their house on a rock. I want you to be able to be 100% sure that your life is secure when this storm comes because it is going to come. What is this big storm? Well, it's a big storm that is going to separate the Smiths from the Joneses, the wise from the foolish. And that storm is set at a date in the future which none of us know, but which we shall all face. And this storm comes on the day when each of us will stand personally face to face in front of Jesus Christ. And he will make an assessment of us and he will decide whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell now those of you that have assumed that because you've been good you'll go to heaven are going to be in for a bit of a shock let me give you a bit from the bible words that jesus himself spoke this is what really happens to you and i on that day and i think it should come up on the second slide if we can this is in Matthew's Gospel. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So he's putting the sheep over here, he's putting the goats over here, the smiths over here, the joneses over here the wise over here the foolish over here two lines of people with two very, very different destinies the sheep go one way, the goats go the other way, and the sheep this is what Jesus says to them listen to this, and all of you that have come to Jesus, this is what he'll say to you, come You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world and you will go into eternal life with God, with all the joy and peace and love and worship and fulfillment of being in complete harmony with God and with your fellow man. Go to heaven. The goats face a different story. This is the words of Jesus to the goats taken from the Bible. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And they will go to eternal punishment to a place of utter selfishness, a place where there is no love, nothing good, and a complete absence of God. Depart from me. I want you to understand these lines were not divided up depending on who had been good and who had not been good. The decisive issue is not our behavior. It is our relationship to Jesus. That's the difference. That's the qualifying thing. Remember Jesus said, I, of himself, am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Unless we have personally, individually come to Jesus, then we are in the Smith line. We are in, sorry, we're in the Jones line, we're in the goat line, we're in the foolish line, we're in the hell line. If we have personally come to Jesus, then we join the Smiths line, the sheep line, the wise line, the heaven line. Simply need to come to Jesus. It's not enough just to have a vague belief in God. The devil believes in God and he won't be in that place. He'll be there. So today, which line would you want to end up in? If you're headed for the wrong line, how do you change? I'm going to explain that very briefly. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to change from the goat line, the fool's line, the Jones line, the hell line. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to change and join the Smith line, the Wise line, the Heaven line, the Sheep line. While I'm just sharing this, I wonder if we could have the band come up. So you simply need to come to Jesus. Now this is how you do it. And this is the really important bit. So I want just to bring these last three or four minutes I want you to really concentrate, particularly if you have a growing awareness that you may currently be in this line. I want you to be really, really listening now because this is the vital information you need to be able to transfer to this line over here. To get in the heaven line, you need to be related to God. You need to be a part of His family. Now, God became a man called Jesus who lived on earth, who died on earth, and he died on earth by being nailed to a wooden cross. He had iron spikes driven in through his wrists and through his ankles, and he hung there until he breathed his last breath and died. During that process, he took onto himself all of your selfishness, your sin, your wrongdoing, your trespasses is a word that's used in the Bible, and your sins. So that's basically all of your decisions to walk away from God and all of the wrong things that you've said and done and thought. He took those onto himself. And what that means, that instead of you having a face-to-face with Jesus and being judged for the things that you've done wrong in life, Jesus was judged on your behalf and God poured out his anger on Jesus instead of onto you and I. That's the important thing because all of the things that separate you from God, your own trespasses, you going your own way and your own sins, you doing the wrong thing, they all separate you from God. And I said to get in this line, you need to be in God's family. So if that's separating you from God, then you can't be in this family. But if somehow something could happen that could remove the things that separate you, then you're free of those and you can cross. And the thing that happened that enabled that to turn into that was the cross. You can cross through the cross. From death to life. From hell to heaven. Via the cross. Because Jesus took all of your sin onto him and you're free. And all you've got to do To become related to God is to believe that. To believe that Jesus is God, to believe that when He died it was for you, and to understand that when He was raised to life it meant that you no longer had to die in this line, but you could live. He was raised to life, He can move the mountains. He moved the mountain of death so that you could have life. That's what He did. It's good news. It is good news. Not because you've been good, but because Jesus is good. And he did it on your behalf and you can receive it as a gift. You can join this great line, multitude of people going back through all time who have come to Jesus, who have put their trust in him and who are going to hear him and see him and know him and be with him forever. If you're a Christian this morning, you're in that line. You will be. It's a place of utter security. Every day, rose-tinted spectacles. That's not false. It's because every day you understand, as she said, I understand the person I was made to be. You were made to be in that line. The devil's lied to you and would love to see you go... to destruction. He would love that. So I'm going to command him right now to leave. I command all fear and anxiety to leave. Fear of becoming a Christian because of the changes it will make as she said I was worried I had to t- tell my friends and family big deal if you become a Christian this morning it's not about whether you tell your friends and family i tell you what become a Christian don't tell a soul okay but know in your heart that you've transferred from death to life you can know that you can know that so in 20 seconds I'm going to invite you to come up to this area here and to come to Jesus that's all I'm going to ask you to do all you need to do it's come so decide now am I going to go am I going to be in the sheep line am I going to be in heaven